out in the country on the farm, and she noticed a pig that was hobbling out around it had one wooden leg. And uh, she sat down on the porch and was talking to the owner, and she said, so t tell me about this pig. Why does it have a wooden leg? And the farmer said, oh, that's Betsy. Ah, oh, she's something special. L listen, one night our house caught fire, and she oinked so loud it woke us up so we could call the fire department before the house burned down. She, she saved our home. And the woman said, oh, that's, that's really amazing. Not only that, the farmer says, but one time our youngest fell into the pond and, and old Betsy oinked so loud we were able to rescue our youngest before it was too late. And the woman said, well, well that's amazing. That's crazy, but that doesn't explain to me why the wooden leg. And the farmer said, well, when you got a pig that special, you don't want to eat it all at once. Gratitude didn't run very deep for the three-legged hero in that family. My question to you is just how deep does your gratitude run? The Content Life series explains and explores what it means to appreciate the goodness of God. Gratitude helps protect us from living a life of selfishness, a life of gluttony, a life of pride. And it enables us to see the beauty in what God is doing around us and what he plans to do in us and what he's already done inside of us. I want to take you to our text today in Luke 15. It's verse 11 through 32. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who, set, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is now found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son, he was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants over and he asked him what was going on. And the servant told to him, your brother's come home and your father's killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and he refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. 
But he answered his father, look, all, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you gave me even a young goat, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because his bro this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. Thank you so much for who, who you are and what you're doing in the life of our church. God, I ask that your spirit would move among us today. God, reveal truths to us and come and do whatever it is that you want to do with us. God, we give you full permission to disrupt our plans today. In Jesus' name, I pray. Let the church say... Amen. Before you sit down, I want you to spend a couple seconds, introduce yourself to someone around you. We have a lot of guests today, and then you may be seated. I'm pretty excited about this series that we're kicking off today. We're talking about contentment, the content life, um, finding peace in the chaos. How, how many of you here today would be courageous enough to admit there were so many in first service? Let's check out second. How many of you would be Bold enough this morning to admit that your life could use a little bit more peace and contentment. A little more satisfaction in life. Y yeah. Hello. Hello. Yeah, so that's pretty much 98% of us. I, I think that's fair. I think that we're always um, on some level chasing more. Chasing more peace. Chasing more contentment. And so that's what I want to actually talk to you today about is contentment. I want to talk about finding peace in the chaos in this series uh, to where things are just quiet in your life. You ever just had voices, nonstop voices? You ever, you know what I mean? Like not, not literal voices, but just like things pulling on you, things tugging at you nonstop. I want to, I want to talk about that. But probably, Scott, part of the problem is we don't really know what contentment is. I mean, I don't know that I do. I know it when I feel it, but I don't know that I can articulate it. I don't know if I can tell you what it is I need to step into the rest that I desperately desire. I mean, I could tell you if this person did something differently, if I had this much money, if my house was taken care of, if I had a gardener, if I, whatever. I could tell you all of these scenarios of what Mike, make me feel rested. But to describe contentment to you is confusing. I mean, have you ever stopped to think, have you ever stopped to journal about what, what is it, not, not the thing that you need, but what is the internal feeling? What is the state of being that you need, that you're chasing, that you're craving? Contentment. I love the cold weather that's come in, but let me just tell you, with the cold weather comes a lot more responsibility and stress. As a parent of five and married, two of them married, so they, I've got seven kids, a grandbaby on the way. I love the cold weather, but Christmas brings its own kind of trauma. Right? What is it? How, how, how is it that can, I can find contentment no matter what the weather looks like outside? I went to Webster to find contentment because, hey, Webster's a pro at defining things. So if I can't do it, maybe he can. Contentment. 
what does Webster say? Contentment is the state of being contented. He did throw in the word satisfaction there too. So let me go to satisfaction. What did Webster, I did, I went to satisfaction because I'm like, oh, so con- contentment is the state of being contented. Great. What is satisfaction? Satisfaction, he defines as the state of being satisfied. Semicolon, contentment. <laughs> so I went to the word satisfy. And Webster defines in one of the definitions, it says content. So I went to content. And it says, um, the state or feeling of being contented, satisfied. No wonder we're so confused on what it is that we're looking for. No wonder we can't define and articulate what contentment. Webster, the expert, can't even do it. He did have a few auxiliary definitions that I would like to read. They're, they're kind of good. Content. There was one in there that said, satisfied with what one is or has, not wanting more or anything else. I can get behind that. And then I went back to satisfied to see if there are any other fun ones in there. And it said, completely paid as a bill. I like that. Another one was convinced as in an argument. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's cool. That would, that would bring me some contentment. And then I went to satisfaction, and I really like this. It was like definition six, hidden underneath a little more. Click more to read more. You had to click it to actually read more. And the sixth definition said this for satisfaction. The opportunity to right a wrong as by duel. I quite like that. As by duel, I'm going to right a wrong. By duel. I mean, how many of you have ever felt like you've been fighting for peace? You're in the fight of your life when you get that phone call with a prognosis. Fight of your life when you find out that bit of information about your spouse. Fight of your life when you find out that your, your kids who are off at college are making choices that freak you out and you're not there to give them guidance. Fight of your life whenever you look in the mirror, age 48, 52, 64, 17, whenever it happened, and you think, I don't even know who I am. So what do we do? You and I are are fighting this ethereal, fuzzy, mystical thing we call peace and contentment and trying to slay circumstances, trying to slay division, trying to slay the betrayer, trying to slay everything that comes across and against us, hoping to get peace. But at the end of the day, we're cut up and we're tired with no peace, no contentment to show for the scars that we carry. Surely God has more for his sons and his daughters. Surely there is more than us crying on the bedroom floor at night on our knees, begging God to intervene. Surely there is more than looking at the bank statement, wondering how we're going to put food on the table and our kids are going to have presence under the tree. Surely there is something more to this thing called kingdom than this. 
Paul said that you and I can be content in all things. In all things, not with all things. I, I, there, I bet that there's a lot of things on earth that God's not content with. Some things that makes him good and hot, like sex trafficking, like poverty, like racism. Like, I, I bet God gets good and angry about something. He's not content with everything that's going on on planet earth. Can I get a good amen from someone who knows the heart of the father? So when I speak to you about contentment, I'm not talking to you about complacency. I'm talking to you about stepping into the sweet spot of sonship when the winds are spinning around you. Maybe your, maybe your thing, your downfall is not really that you can't find peace in the storm. Some of us can find peace in the storm because that's the only time we really run to the Father. Some of you, you need peace on the mountaintop because your life is so successful and you've got every bill paid and you've got luxury dining on the table three times a day. Yet you don't give to the poor. You don't support widows and orphans. You don't tithe your 10% as God commands. You are wrestling with discontent. You're wrestling inside on the mountain because you know why? You're looking around and you see higher mountains that your friends are on. And you're at the top and you're not satisfied, whatever that means. You're not content, whatever Webster thinks that is. You're at the top of the mountain you're on, but you just need more. Is this the life that God designed for his sons and daughters? I'm bringing hope to you today because I propose and submit and suggest to you that as a son and a daughter, no matter what situation you are in, whether you are on the mountain or in the valley, there is peace that can be found. There is contentment that can be had. There is rest that can last through the night. Contentment. I, I think about many of us are just like a rat on a wheel running trying to get contentment, thinking if I just finish that project, if I just get out of debt, if I just marry that girl, if I just do this, if I, if I just do that, then I will know peace. Some of us are living a Rolling Stones life. I just can't get no satisfaction. But I try and I try. And I try, I can't get no, come on, sing it with me, satisfaction. All right, yeah, you got it. Some of you are living in the pre-course, I can't get no, satisfaction. Some of you are in the course, third course, I can't get no, satisfaction. You know what I mean? We, we display it in different ways, but at the end of the day, we're laying our head down at night, not satisfied. I want to I take you to our story in Luke 15, because it's a beautiful story of two brothers who are both living in a world that has this irritableness, discontent, restlessness, 
in it. They, they have different angles, but there's no contentment in either brother. And I think we might, when we read this story, often skip over the fact that this is a very powerful illustration for you and I to understand what contentment looks like. The, the young brother, the youngest. Anybody got a youngest? Anybody in the room, the youngest? Oh, we have a lot of youngest. All right. Bless you. I'm a middle child. We don't like the oldest or the youngest because they got everything. Honestly, for real. The youngest comes up to dad and says, hey, hey, pops, can I can I go and get my portion of the inheritance? Now, in this time, that's like looking at his dad and saying, hey, dad, I wish you were dead. Can we just pretend like you're dead and you give me what's mine? It's a big deal. Slap in the face. And the father says, absolutely. So he divides up his stuff and he, he gives the younger son what belongs to him. The son goes to a distant land. Oh, he is uh, living it up. Like he, he is kicking it with the Kardashians. He is living wild, the Bible says. He's eating the best food. He's living in or riding in the stretch limos. He's like, he is living it up until the money runs out and famine sweeps across the land. And then he's reflecting back on the good old days where he could sit at the blackjack table and he spent time with the prostitutes and he, he, was, he was kicking back at the bar with a few too many beers and he was loving the good old life, but now he's finding himself with nothing. Nothing. He found a job, though, from a citizen feeding pigs. All of them had four legs. He's feeding the pigs and He's giving them pods and he's looking and he's starving and he's thinking, I desperately just, I want to eat what the pigs are eating. You know you're hungry when you're throwing food into the wet, mud, pig infested territory and they're eating it and they're drooling on it and you're drooling because you want what they have. You know you're hungry. And he comes to his senses, the Bible says, and he thinks, wait, wait a minute. I am a son of a wealthy man. I actually feel like the redemption of the story happened right there in the, in the pig pen. So that's good news to all of you in a pig pen today because that's right where redemption happens, where that awareness of, hey, I need a savior. I need Jesus in this pen with me. That's what happened. And he said, hey, I am a son. My father's servants are eating better than this. And so he leaves the pig pen behind. He starts heading home. And the Bible says that the dad saw him from a distance. And the father runs out to his son, gives him a big hug, and he kisses him. He puts a robe on him, puts sandals on his feet, calls out to the servant and says, hey, we're going we're gonna to kill the fattened calf. We're going to have a party. And then they go inside and I see it now. They're, they're in this big room with a long banquet table. And the son is sitting there in his fancy robe and his dad's all excited. And the people who thought this guy was dead is just walking in the room, jawing in the floor, the heart stopping for a moment. They just can't believe that he's back, but he's back. He's sitting next to an empty chair. 
his older brother's chair. About that time, something catches dad's eye out the window. So dad looks, and he sees the older brother walking over the hill talking to a servant. That's his firstborn. Firstborn. The one that I put all my hopes and dreams into. The one that I didn't know if we were going to have more kids, but we had you, and we were glad we did. And, man, I put so much pressure on you to succeed, but I'm proud of you, son. Man, look at him. Oh, he looks mad. What the father could see but couldn't hear was a conversation where the older brother hears from the servant because he's hearing music playing. He's hearing a a celebration and a party. He's hearing the Rolling Stones saying, I got my satisfaction. And he says, what's the problem? What's going on? And the servant says, oh, listen, your brother came home and your dad killed the fattened calf and we're having a celebration. That's all that the brother heard. And the Bible says he got angry. He got furious. He didn't even know about the robe. He didn't even know about the sandals. All he knew was that they were having dinner and playing some music. And he was furious. He refused to go in. The father sees all this like a silent movie playing on the window. and Walks outside. Walks over to his son, his firstborn. Hey, son, you coming in? I'm not coming in, Dad. I heard that he's here. He shows up and we party. Dad, I, I, have, I have worked for you every morning, every day. I haven't gone on vacation. I haven't gone to the big city. I haven't slept with prostitutes. I haven't spent wildly the money that you worked so hard to give to me. Dad, every morning I have been up before sunrise, even on daylight savings time change. I'm up and I'm working in the fields and I'm feeding your animals and I'm taking care of everything you need taken care of, Dad. I've been here. I've been faithful. Never once did you kill a, even a goat for me and my friends. Dad looks at him and says, son, listen. All that I have is yours. You know what he's saying, don't you? He's saying, I've already given your brother what was going to him. Raise up your eyes and look around. You see all that? The, the goat you want for your friend, you, all the goats are yours. When you want to go, take a goat. Every, every blade of grass in this place is yours. The, the John Deere tractor, yours. Maintenance, yours too. It's all yours. Come on, let's go celebrate because your brother, who is dead, is now alive. So that leaves us with the question of how can someone so blessed be so ungrateful? How can someone who has it all not see what's right in front of their face? How can they live in such discontent and without peace? I went back to Webster, by the way, because he was so reliable before. 
Webster, I looked up the word prodigal. How many of you have ever said the word prodigal? Not, okay, everybody say prodigal. prodigal. Now, you've all said it, but you, don't you want to say it with a C? Prodigal, 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 son. How many want to say it with C? It's a G. That's just not fair. It's not right. But it's prodigal. How many knows what prodigal means? I didn't. I thought I did. I thought the NIV translated the subsection title correctly, which they did, but they weren't defining prodigal. They called it the lost son. Right? In your Bibles, if you have NIV, NIV version, it says something like the lost son. That's great. He was a lost son who's now found, but that's not what prodigal means. So I went to Webster. What does prodigal mean? Because that's kind of important in the context of the story. And Webster says prodigal means a person who spends money in a reckless and extravagant way. I don't think I'm going to like this story. You see, yesterday I was almost a prodigal at Walmart. I went to Walmart. My wife was out of town. She was getting home that evening. I was going to make her and the, and the girl, my daughter's coming back in town. So a great meal, which I did. What I make? Apple rosemary chicken with un, sauteed onions. It was, it was brilliant, delicious, with rice, peel off with golden raisins. I don't know. Scott could probably come up with a good name for it. But in addition, it was because uh, we had a lot of apples. Um, in addition, I also made apple cinnamon bread for dessert. So it was like ready. The house smelled like Christmas and apples and everything. But I went to Walmart to get chicken breast, one thing. And I'm driving and I realize I need this and I want this and I need this and I want this. And I, I, I was doing shop therapy because I miss my wife. And, and I'm looking at my basket and I realize, wait, somebody is going to have to swipe their card for all of this. And I, I don't want that to be me. So I, I need to prioritize and decide what do I really want right now and what can wait. And so I went through my basket and I took photos of everything that I really, really wanted, but I knew I didn't have to have it. So I took, it was maybe 28 photos. It's not an exaggeration, sadly. Um, I'm sorry, my nose hair is driving my lip nose. Anyway. Um, 28 photos of what I wanted, but not in an emergency. And I sent them to all my kids saying, hey, this would be good Christmas. This is what I want for Christmas. Um, like put it in my stocking. And it's like $3. It's razor refills. It's very utilitarian. And, you know, I'll use it. And then there's some fun, really fun stuff like beef jerky. Um, and so that, I called that um, Photoshopping. I was Photoshopping yesterday. But had I spent recklessly, I would have transitioned into a prodigal son. You see, we think being a prodigal, being away from God is just all about, you know, being crazy with the inheritance. We, we want to chalk it up to the prostitutes and the pig pen. But what made the prodigal a prodigal was the fact that he lived lavishly, extravagantly, and didn't manage his money according to God's standards. That's not a fun topic for those of us that are really wrestling with tithing right now. It's not. But might I suggest to you 
that when you handle money God's way, it unlocks a portal to peace and contentment that you would not have had access to had you tried to do it your own way. I have six questions. Because my goal, my goal for you over the next two to three weeks is to help you step into peace and contentment. But you got to ask yourself some hard questions. The first question, it's in your notes. Write this down so you can have a hard conversation with yourself later. What desires am I fueling? What desires am I fueling? Because desires determine your direction. The desires of your heart determine your direction. The older brother was blind to what he already had. In verse 31, the father said, son, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. Here's the brother throwing a tantrum, Scott. Throwing a tantrum saying he wants what he already has. Are you with me, church? I just wonder how many of us are irritable and discontent and not having peace. And God is saying, yo, bro, wake up. It's there. You've already got it is what you're asking for. You just need to put a little works with your faith and shine that bad boy up. Just because you've got uh, tainted silver doesn't mean you don't have silver. You just might need to polish it. What desires am I fueling? And point to what hunger am I suppressing? Go ahead, Chad. You see, in every one of us, if you are a son and a daughter, you have inside of you a deep need to connect with the Father. Deep. So maybe that's your discontentment. Maybe you've not allowed the hunger and thirst for him to bubble up outside of you. Maybe the chaos in your world is the result of you shushing the Holy Spirit too much. I don't want to hear that. I want this. Nope. I'm going to do this. If we're not careful, listen, God is a gentleman. He won't push himself on anyone. If he's not invited in, if you don't have dialogue and conversation with him, he won't make you be in relationship with him. He won't make you take the peace and contentment that he offers. There's so much peace and serenity. Just understanding that It's not through your efforts and your works, but simply through your hunger and thirst for him. The next question we find from the younger brother. The older brother, I'm sorry, was purpose-driven. In verse 29, let's read that together as I wrap up today and our team comes. But he answered his father, look, 
All these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. You see what the older brother did here? He's very performance driven. The older brother marks time. He marks time. So ask yourself the question, what time are you marking? It would be easy for me to say, hey, God, for 45 years, I've, I've served you. For 45 years, I've led people. I've loved you. Yeah, I've made some mistakes, done some things I shouldn't have done. But Lord, where are you in this crisis? Where are you in this season of my life? But my relationship with God isn't based on the last 45 years. It's based on today. It's based on me waking up this morning and saying, God, how can I be of service to you today? Not what you did yesterday. This is what happened to the children of Israel when they're trying to feast on old manna. God wants to give us new manna each and every day. So the question you have to ask is, what time am I marking? The older brother tracks behavior, point four. What behavior am I tracking? And point five, what distance am I tolerating? And what blessings am I manipulating? In verse 30, the older brother comes up to the dad. And he says, um, hey, dad, this son of yours did X, Y, Z. Could you imagine one of your kids coming up to tattle on the other and say, that daughter of yours did X, Y, Z, right? It's, it's very relationally distant. It's not my brother. It's not it, that daughter, that son of yours. Many of us, when we can't find peace, we isolate and we push away. Everybody look up here. I feel like I'm, there's a lot of distraction in the room. I need to get this point home. When we need peace and contentment, we isolate thinking that peace is found in isolation. Hear me, church. Peace isn't found in isolation. It's found in connection. Will you stand to your feet? Our team is going to come and sing a, a, a song. We're going to close out. And, um, but I've asked our prayer team to be at the ready in case I felt the Spirit of God moving us this direction. But I want our prayer team to come forward right now, please. Uh, and, and if you're in the room and you're ready, you're ready to run towards peace and contentment, not by your works, not by the doing, but you're ready to step into a season that you've not seen before. I want you to allow us the honor to pray with you today. Listen, God is so good. I was in counseling a couple weeks ago, talking to my counselor and, um, 
we were talking about God. He's a Christian. And I, it was a real vulnerable moment. And I had like this aha moment. And I'll, I'll, I'll share with you what I said. And I said, I know that God is good. That, that's like not up for debate. But sometimes where the enemy tries to create doubt is, is he going to be good to me? You ever felt that before? Like, I know God is good. That's just who he is. But is he good to me? It's time for us to step into peace and into contentment. So as we sing this song, our prayer team wants to pray with you.